Welcome to the World We Got This podcast, brought to you by King's College London. In this series, we take a look at the complex issues of the world today. We ask those researching and studying these fields about the challenges we face and what society needs to do to help solve them. When it comes to discrimination, there are some forms of it that will be familiar terms to most people. Racism, sexism, ageism and homophobia, to name just a few examples. But what about colorism? What exactly is it? How does it differ from racism? And what impact does it have on individuals and wider society? My name is Julie Weldon, and in this episode of The World We Got This podcast, we will explore the topic of colorism with Dr. Aisha Phoenix, a lecturer in social justice in the School of Education, Communication and Society here at King's College London. In this episode, we will look at what lies behind colorism. We will hear about the effects it has on people and their life chances, and how research is helping to fill the gaps in our knowledge around this pervasive but perhaps not widely known form of discrimination. Welcome, Dr. Aisha Phoenix, to The World We Got This. Could you please start by explaining what colorism is for those who might not have heard of the term before? Colorism is skin shade prejudice in which minoritized ethnic people are penalized for having dark skin. What is less well known is that colorism also includes phenotypical features. So minoritized ethnic people are penalized the further their features are from those associated with whiteness. So for example, for black people, those who have broader noses tighter curls and fuller lips are subjected to more prejudice than those whose features approximate those associated with whiteness. So how does it relate to and differ from racism? So they're interrelated. Colorism and racism are interrelated, but they're distinct. Racism is prejudice or discrimination based upon a person's racialized or ethnic group, whilst colorism is prejudice on the basis of skin shade. And so colorism can affect the intensity of racism that a minoritized ethnic person is subjected to with those with darker skin being subjected to worse treatment. Is it found in all societies around the world? And if so, can we identify some of the reasons for that? For example, what role has colonialism played? So yes, colorism affects people of color around the world and it's got different histories in different parts of the world. So for those people who are descendants of transatlantic slaves, you have all of the impact of the way in which slaves were treated differently, depending on if they were the product of slave master rapes, for example, and they had lighter skin and were treated better. So you have that on the one hand, and then that's perpetuated when slaves after emancipation, when those who have lighter skin have had more education, higher status, and that's perpetuated through relationship choices that lead to families retaining that light skin deliberately. And as you mentioned, colonialism, again, has an impact. The colonial history in countries that were colonised, you have people of colour with light skin who were the children of colonialists and local people being higher status, getting better education again, treated better, and then that's perpetuated. So those two things are similar. But then in other cultures that haven't got those same colonial histories, you also have the status associated with people with darker skin being labourers, those who work outside in the sun, people with lighter skin being more privileged, being indoors, higher status, etc. So, so that's another thing that you find in many countries as well. And there are other the histories too. But what is consistent is that those with darker skin are subjected to greater prejudice and lighter skin are seen as more attractive. People with lighter skin are seen as cleaner, seen as more intelligent. So all the positive attributes are attributed to light skin. 
What do we know about the sort of impact that colorism has on an individual's life chances and the prejudices they face? So colorism has a significant impact on the life chances of minoritized ethnic people, particularly those with dark skin. There's been a lot of research on colorism from the United States in particular, and that has found that colorism affects educational experiences with teachers having lower expectations of students with darker skin and students with darker skin completing fewer years of schooling. Colorism also has an impact on job opportunities with those with dark skin being at a disadvantage compared to their counterparts with lighter skin. It affects people's experiences, particularly women's experiences in the relationship market, with women with light skin being seen as more attractive and being preferred over their counterparts with darker skin. And it even has an impact on experiences of the criminal justice system, with those with darker skin getting longer sentences for the same crimes as those with lighter skin. As well as what society is doing to individuals, are people internalising this and actually harming themselves in any way because of colorism? Unfortunately, yes. Because of people of colour's awareness of the impact of colorism and its impact on their life chances, including you know employment opportunities, relationship opportunities, etc. There are many people in different parts of the world who use skin lightening creams, some of which are not licensed and are toxic, in order to try and benefit from the privileges associated with light skin. And the skin lightening industry is a multi-billion industry. So it is very damaging. And people also have cosmetic surgery to change their features to make them approximate those Eurocentric features as well in order to benefit from the privileges associated with that. You've mentioned quite a lot of research in the USA. What are the gaps in our knowledge around colorism, especially in the UK, that you hope to address through your work? So yes, there's been very little research on colorism, specifically on colorism in the UK. I conducted a project on adults' experiences of colorism with Dr. Nadia Craddock. And there's also been some research done by Dr. Tanisha Spratt, who's now at King's as well. And she's conducted research on colorism and racism-induced stress and outcomes among Black British women. In the research I conducted with Nadia, participants highlighted experiences of colorism when they were growing up in both schools and families. And now I'm the PI of the Understanding Colorism Among Young People in the UK research project. And we're seeking to explore how young people experience and understand colorism with a particular focus on experiences at school. But we also are exploring colorism in the families and in white broader society. But it's, it's interesting that in the schools, we've only, we've only just we're at the beginning of our research. We've done research at three or four schools now, but we haven't finished in most of those. But there's been colorism in all of those. And many of the young people have highlighted examples of colorism. Sometimes they weren't even aware of them as being colorism, but then reflecting on it, they are. But they definitely have highlighted many different examples. I understand you carried out work to develop and validate an everyday colorism scale. Can you explain more about that and why it was needed? I worked on a project with a team led by Dr. Nadia Craddock to develop and validate the everyday colorism scale. And the scale we developed was based on Professor David Williams' everyday discrimination scale. What it aimed to do was capture perceived experiences of colorism that people of color living in the UK may encounter in their day-to-day lives. So we designed it so that participants completed it twice. Once was based on encounters they had with those who were from the same racialized group. And another time we did it based on encounters they had with white people. And we did this as colorism can occur both within and between racialized groups, as as we discussed earlier. We wanted to explore this and to see if there were differences in how colorism was experienced from different groups. So what's useful about the scale is that it, it allows us to extend research on perceived discrimination and well-being. And in using the everyday colorism scale, we can quantitatively examine the relationship between perceived experiences of colorism 
and outcomes such as psychological distress, self-esteem and body image. You also did research involving black men's experience of colorism and found that it was gendered. Can you outline a bit more about your findings, especially how men can both experience and perpetuate colorism and also the role of families in this? Yes, of course. The first paper we, we published from that project was on black men's experiences, but they were actually the smaller part of our sample because we had nine black or black mixed race men and, and many more women. But it was striking that some of the men we interviewed had been subjected to colorism at schools and elsewhere. But then they were also colorist to other people and they were aware of, of those tensions of having been subjected to the prejudice and then perpetuating it. They weren't proud of that, but they were open enough to share that with us. And preliminary findings from the Understanding Colorism Research Project that I'm conducting with Dr. Nadia Craddock and Dr. Annabelle Wilson suggest that this is a process that is also happening amongst young men of colour at UK secondary schools as well. So many of the participants, some of whom were black young men, some of whom were just young people at school highlighting the fact that black young men would be subjected to colorism, those with dark skin, and then also the most likely to be colorist towards others as well. And some participants were suggesting that this was because those who'd been put down by colorism wanted to perhaps make themselves feel less stigmatized by targeting others. So also in our adult colorism study, Dr. Nadia Craddock and I found that some families played a significant role in helping to perpetuate colorism by teaching children that dark skin is negative and light skin is positive. However, there was also the fact that some families played a, a positive role helping young people to value people of all skin shades and also helping them to see that their skin shades were attractive or beautiful and valuable too. And the gendered aspects of this, how did that materialise itself? And was there an element that women bear the brunt of this discrimination because of the additional pressures that society puts on women around attractiveness? Yes, because of the differences in the way in which women and men are treated in society and the patriarchal systems and the expectations that women's beauty is more important, more weight is put on it. Then in families as well, mothers would often be targeting their daughters and saying, oh, you're not going to get a partner, your skin's too dark, or you're not as attractive as this person because your skin's too dark, and making girls specifically feel particularly negative about themselves because of their skin shape. So that was something. And some of the mothers themselves had complexes about their own skin shapes. So some of the mothers were insecure and sometimes insecure because they had darker skin than their daughters. They were uncomfortable about that and recognising that their daughters were seen as more valuable than they were. You've mentioned already some of the research that you're doing with young people. If we could just explore that a little bit more, you were awarded a UKRI Future Leaders Fellowship in June 2022, so you could conduct a large-scale study of young people's perceptions and experiences of colorism. What do you hope to uncover through your research, and are there any more of the initial findings that you can share with us? So through the research, we really hope to gain a better understanding of how colorism operates at school and how colorism affects young people of color in school settings, but also in the family and broader society. And we're still very much in the data collection phase of the project, so we're not in a position to share much. But I will say that from the research we've conducted, it's really clear that colorism is a significant issue amongst people of color in UK secondary schools. And it's often not conceptualized as colorism, particularly when it comes to things like name calling and jokes. A lot of the young people just describe that as banter. They said, oh, it's just banter and almost trivialising it without really interrogating the processes at work. So that was something that we were very struck by. But it was broader than that. You could see it in the way in which beauty ideals were perpetuated that predominantly saw people with light skin as more attractive in terms of who was seen as popular, in terms of who was voted to be the most ugly students, those with darker skin. 
things like that. And students also talked about discipline and the way in which those with darker skin were, subject, were subjected to more harsh penalties from their schools than those with lighter skin as well. And is there a reason you specifically chose to study young people as a cohort for this project? Young people are really important because they're still at that age where they're finding their, their identities are still in development. They're thinking about who they are, who they want to be. They're growing, they're changing, they're exploring the world. So it's a really important time to talk to them, to gain their understandings, but also we're developing a personal social health and economic education lesson for young people that seeks to raise awareness about colorism and change perspectives potentially when, when students have colorist ideas. And therefore it's really important to talk to them at that age where we still have that impact before they grow up and become family members themselves, where they can perpetuate colorism to the next generation. But I think our research has also shown that it's important to talk to even younger children. So we're talking to children who are in years eight and nine and years 12 and 13. But I think more research is needed in primary schools because that's a key point where colorist ideas are being perpetuated. But there's not a, a great understanding of the processes and what it means. And I think some work at that age would also be very valuable, as well as work with families, because families have a significant role in socialising people to do with understandings of racialization. And they also have, as we mentioned, a role in helping to perpetuate colorist ideas. So if we did work with young people at that primary school age and also their families, that could be very powerful, as well as with teachers, because there's no point in just doing work with families while teachers then continue to differentiate based on not only racialized backgrounds, but also skin shade. One of the other things that's really important that I hope will come out of this research is thinking about how we contribute to teacher training. Because a number of the students have talked about issues to do with how teachers treat students of colour in colourist and racist ways and also Muslim students as well. And I think that would be really valuable if we can find a way for our research to contribute to better understandings about what's required in teacher training. Because all of those things combine to produce obstacles for young people. If they can't get the grades they need to enter higher education, that's a massive obstacle. Or if teachers aren't encouraging them to take academic options, that's also problematic. So there are many different ways in which it's important to have an impact. And I'm hoping in our small way, we can contribute to those things. Can I now ask you about yourself more personally? Black History Month in the UK this year was all about celebrating the achievements of black women. And we know that black women are significantly underrepresented in academia currently. How do you hope to use your position and your work to bring about change? That's a really good question. I think that one of the things I think is important is representation. So I like to go to schools and talk about issues to do with social justice. That's what my work is focused on. And I'm a social justice lecturer. And I think being there as, as this black African Caribbean lecturer is positive for young black women and young children of colour to see in general. And as a lecturer, I think it's also good to be visible as a black African Caribbean lecturer as well. My work centres on social justice issues and my research obviously explores that too through the colorism research and other work that I've done. And one of the things that our colorism research is showing is the way in which schools present obstacles to young people of colour, not just in a colorist way, because students also share with us their experiences of racism. So I think through the work we're doing, the reports we write, the publications we publish, that should also help to raise awareness, hopefully contribute to making it easier for young black women to excel at school and consider a variety of careers, including in academia. Not our work in isolation, but along with other academics who are contributing in this area. And I also know there are a number of exciting initiatives at the moment that seek to encourage and support black young women in academia. And I'd like to support those efforts. One of the things I'd like to do is some mentoring, and I think that will be valuable as well. 
Overall, do you feel hopeful that now, as more people are talking about this and academics such as yourself are studying it, that at least society is starting to acknowledge colorism and its impact? I think it's really important. Yeah, I think it's really important that more people are talking about it. I think more people are interested in researching it, working on it, thinking about it. There are many more blogs about personal experiences of colorism, pieces about challenging colorism and arguing that it's problematic. And the more you have that and people creating their online spaces where there's ideas around people of all shades being attractive, dark skin being beautiful, the more that there are those kind of things, the more we're going to be able to interrogate colorism and recognize, call it out when we see it, recognize that it's a problem and not just take it for granted as, oh, that's just how things are or attractiveness just is light skin. So I think things will begin to change. That doesn't mean that the problem will just go away. But by raising awareness and making it something that people recognise is problematic, then hopefully that will have a positive impact. What's interesting in talking to the young people is when some of them have been saying, oh, yeah, I make jokes, you know, when the lights go out, I say, oh, yeah, where's X gone because we can't see them because it's so dark. And I make those jokes, but it's just banter. And then you're like, OK, and what about if a white person did it? Oh, no, no, that wouldn't be OK. Well, why wouldn't it be OK? And so why is it OK for you to do that? And having that moment of realisation and they're like, oh, well, maybe it isn't OK. I want more people to interrogate what they're doing and think, oh, well, maybe it isn't okay. Why am I treating that child better than that one? They're both my children, but only because that one's got darker skin that I'm treating them worse and that one's lighter. So they get better presence. They get more attention. I think that they're more intelligent. There's something really wrong with that. I want people to start questioning themselves and thinking about how they're treating others and how they're looking at the world. And I think projects like our own, the other work that's being done, the conversations online, just that greater awareness of what colorism is. I think that would really help. It's been such an interesting discussion and we look forward to hearing more about your research and the findings of your ongoing studies as they progress. Thank you very much, Dr. Aisha Phoenix, for joining us today. You have been listening to The World We Got This podcast. This episode was produced by the Faculty of Social Science and Public Policy at King's College London and edited by Rachel Wall. To find out more about the research at King's on this and other global challenges, please visit our website, kcl.ac.uk. Please review, subscribe and share the podcast so you don't miss an episode and it's easier for others to find out about the series.